Today's scripture reading will be from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I say to you also that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. As always, we are so thankful for the presence of each and every person. If you are visiting, we want you to know that we do count you as an honored guest. We invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. We're grateful for the beautiful day that we have to be together. We are especially grateful that we have been blessed to live in a country such as this that affords us the privilege of coming together to worship God without any fear of harm or any type of of persecution, And we need to continue to pray that God will bless our nation with such liberties. We're going to be talking today about what the Bible has to say relative to the church. After all, when we talk about the church, what really matters is what the Bible says. Peter said many years ago, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God in 1 Peter chapter 4 at verse 11. There are many people in our world today that, quite frankly, misunderstand the nature and importance of this institution that we call the church. And yet I believe that the church, as the Bible presents it, is a very vital institution. As a matter of fact, When we open the pages of the Bible, we see that the church exists today in accordance with God's eternal plan, based on what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. As you and I think about what the Bible says about the church, the first thing that I call your attention to is the builder of the church. The passage that was read just a moment ago, Matthew chapter 16, we find Jesus entering the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they began to respond with varying answers. They said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then responded by saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. A couple of things I think we need to understand relative to the builder of the church. The builder of the church is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As a matter of fact, he is the founder of the church. He's the one that founded this great institution that you and I, as obedient believers, belong to. When we think about Jesus as the foundation or the founder of the church, we remind ourselves of passages like Psalm 127.1. 
where the psalmist said, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 at verse 11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who founded or built the church. Not only that, but he is the foundation upon which the church rests. And because Jesus Christ built the church, founded the church, is the foundation of the church, then it wears his name. Collectively in the scriptures, we read of the churches of Christ in Romans 16 at verse 16. In the American Standard Version of the Bible, we read of the term church, which is simply the ecclesia, the community of the saved, some 95 times. The kingdom of God is referenced 68 times. The kingdom of heaven, 32 times. When we talk about the church that was built by Jesus, we can read of the church of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 2. It is called the churches of the saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. It is the church of the living God, 1 Timothy chapter 3, at verse 15. The church that we're talking about had as its builder Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is the builder, the foundation, the founder, it wears his name. It wears not the names of mankind. But then there's a second thing I think we see in the Bible relative to the church. And this has to do with the blood of the church. You see, when we talk about the church, we have to understand that it was purchased with divine blood. It exists today because Jesus shed his blood in order for it to be established. Prior to his crucifixion, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And we think of that memorial feast as instituted by our Lord in Matthew chapter 26. And Jesus said, this is the cup of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In verse 28, Jesus shed his blood in death. And in so doing, he purchased the church. In Acts chapter 20, At verse 28, when the Apostle Paul stood before the elders of the church while in Miletus, the Bible says that he said to those men, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now think about this. Jesus is the builder of the church. He's the one that founded the church. He is the foundation upon which the church rests. The church was purchased with his own blood. And so when he said in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church, we understand that terminology. The church belongs to him. Why? Because he purchased it with his own blood. And what a great blessing it is to be a member of that great body that we read about in the New Testament. But there's a third thing that we see in the New Testament relative to the church. Because after all, we're interested in what the Bible has to say about this great institution. 
Well, what does the Bible say about the church? Well, the Bible tells us that the body is the church. You see, the terms church and body are often used interchangeably. Much like the terms church and kingdom are used interchangeably in the Bible. For example, back in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonian kingdom. And he had a dream that he did not understand, and so Daniel had the opportunity to unveil that dream to him. But Daniel saw four world empires that would rise and fall in successive order, beginning with the Babylonian empire over which Nebuchadnezzar reigned. But Babylon would give way to the Medo-Persian empire. Medo-Persia would then yield to the Grecian empire, which would in turn give way to the Roman empire. And so in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44, Daniel said, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. The kingdom that Daniel referenced was the church. The same institution that Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 foresaw as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. And so when John the baptizer began preaching, In the wilderness of Judea, as outlined by Matthew in Matthew chapter 3, we find John the Baptist saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, just another way of saying the church was at hand. And so, the church and the kingdom, one institution, one and the same. Just like the body and the church are used interchangeably. Well, how do we know that? Well, in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul said he put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So the church and the body are one and the same. That's exactly right. Well, here's a question we might ask. How many bodies do we read about in the Bible? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul said, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Now, Paul said, there's one body. What is the one body? He's the head of the body, which is the church. Colossians 1.18. He put all things in subjection under his feet, which is what? The church. The body. So the church and the body are one and the same. Well, how many bodies are there? Well, Paul said there's just one body. Is that not what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18? When he said to Peter, and I also say unto you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The church, as Jesus saw it, as Jesus prophetically stated about it, is singular and possessive in nature. Biblically speaking, when you talk about the New Testament church, the church has one head and one body. Jesus is the one head of the church, Colossians 1.18, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And just as there is one head, there is only one body. Now in John chapter 10, verse 16, 
Jesus said, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold, or one flock, and one shepherd. What was Jesus talking about there? He was basically talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles within the body of Christ. God's eternal plan was to reconcile both Jew and Gentile in one body. How do I know that? Ephesians 2.16. The Bible says that Christ reconciled both, that is both Jew and Gentile, in one body under God through the cross. So both Jew and Gentile are said to be members of this divine institution that we call the church. That was God's eternal plan. Read Ephesians 3. Verse 5 and following. That was what God designed. And so in John 10, 16, when Jesus said, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, he was talking about the Gentiles. And so when the Gentiles obeyed the gospel of Christ, what happened? They became members of the one body, the church. So we have the body, which is the church. We have the blood of the church, the builder of the church. But there's another facet that we read about in the Bible. This has to do with our baptism into the church. Now, somebody might say, I don't understand that. I understand where the Bible says that we are to be baptized. But I'm not sure I understand how we are baptized into the body or into the church. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 13, Paul said, By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Why be baptized into the one body? Because the body, the church, is the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the community of the saved. That is, the ecclesia is comprised of saved people. And so when a person is baptized into Jesus Christ, they are baptized into that divine body that we read about in the Bible called the church. Take, for example, Pentecost Day in Acts 2. Peter preached the resurrected Christ. And the Bible says that those who were assembled on that day were pricked in their heart. And so they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Here's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. All right, so they were instructed to repent, to be baptized, to enjoy the remission, the remitting, the forgiveness of sins. Now in verse 41, the Bible says that some 3,000 souls on that day were baptized into Christ. In verse 47, the Bible says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. So those who are baptized into Christ are baptized into the church, into the one body. When they are placed in that one body, they are said to be the saved. Acts 2, verse 47. Well, why do I need to be in the one body? Because Paul said in Ephesians 5, 23, he is the Savior of the church or the body. So the saved are a part of the body of Christ or the church of Christ that you read about in the Bible. 
Now, the church I'm talking about is 2,000 years in age. In other words, the church that we're talking about was built by Jesus on Pentecost Day. Any church that began prior to Pentecost Day would be too old to be the church of the New Testament. Any church that began after Pentecost Day would be too new. And so what we're trying to do is pinpoint what the Bible says relative to the church. Now, I said that we are baptized into Jesus Christ. Well, baptism is preceded by what? By faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. We have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, verse 24. A person might be baptized into Christ, but if that person does not believe in the deity of Christ, all they did was get wet. So they have to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Then they have to be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin, to give up sin. That's what Peter said on Pentecost Day, repent. That's what Jesus said in Luke 13, 3. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. But then we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. Well, what is it we confess? We believe, we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, Matthew 10, 32. That's what the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. He confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God. Then we are baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, it is at the point of baptism that we enjoy what? Well, number one, we enjoy the benefits of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the blood is where? It's in Christ. It's in the church of Christ. If you want to enjoy the benefits of the blood, you have to be where the blood resides. Well, where did Jesus shed his blood? He shed his blood in death, John 19, verse 34. That's why Paul said in Romans 6, verse 3, Know you not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We're baptized into the death of Christ. And so, it is at that point that we contact the blood of Jesus. What saves us from sin? The blood of Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, 7. So why be baptized? Well, number one, for salvation. I heard a preacher ask the question on one occasion. He said, is baptism an obligation or an option? His response was, it is an obligation. But then he turned around and said, but I'm not saying you have to be baptized to be saved. But here's what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's what Jesus said. That's not my interpretation of what Jesus said. That's called a quotation. He that believeth and is baptized, shall be saved. So we're baptized for what? For salvation. We are baptized for the remission of sins. That's what Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38. We are baptized to enjoy the washing away of sins. Acts 22, verse 16. Now, when a person is baptized into Christ, 
And again, bear in mind, I'm not saying that a person is just baptized. I'm saying you have to believe in Christ, repent of your sins, confess his name, and then you're immersed in water. When you do that, you did what they did in the first century. If you do what they did, then you become what they became. And that is simply New Testament Christians. People who enjoyed the benefits of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the grace of God, it's in Christ. We want to appropriate the benefits of God's marvelous, matchless grace. Where is that in Christ? We want to enjoy the benefits of his blood. Where is that in Christ? So when we're baptized, what happens? We are added to the church that we read about in the New Testament. Now, anytime you take the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, that's what Jesus said in Luke 8, 11. Anytime you take the seed of the kingdom and you do what this book says to do, then you can be a New Testament Christian. Think about those who were obedient to the faith in the first century. What were they called? Sometimes people will say, well, I am a church of Christ. Or I am a church of Christ preacher. I'm not a church of Christ. I'm not a church of Christ preacher. I am a gospel preacher. I am a member of the church of Christ. But I'm not church of Christ. You see, the church belongs to Christ. When I obey the gospel, here's what the Bible says I am. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 verse 14, I am a believer. The Bible says in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, I am a disciple. The Bible says in Acts 11, verse 26, I am a Christian. The Bible says I am a saint, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. The Bible says that I am a member, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. The Bible says that we are brethren, Colossians 1, verse 2. So when we obey the gospel of Christ, that's what we become individually. Collectively, we are members of the church, the church of the living God, the church of Christ, the churches of the saints, the church, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. All of these are terms used in the Bible to identify the body. And that's what we are. And so... When a person obeys the gospel, they become a member of the church that Jesus talked about in Matthew 16, verse 18. That's the church that we want to be a member of because that's what the Bible teaches. But then finally, there is the behavior of the church. Once you obey the gospel of Christ and are added to the church, what you have to understand is that you are among those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. The word sanctify means to set apart. We have been set apart from the world unto God. Therefore, we belong to God. You see, the church belongs to God. It's, his, it's not my church. The church does not belong to any person on earth. It belongs to the Lord. We are simply members of that church. And what we want to do is live in such a way so that our lives bring honor and glory to God. Because you see, we glorify God in the church, Ephesians 3.21. So we are sanctified, we're set apart, we belong to God. 
That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, beginning, that we're to live as the salt of the earth, as the light of the world. It's incumbent on us as believers to live in such a way so that people will see us as New Testament Christians. And they'll say, what they have, I want. What they are, I want to be. We want to be followers, followers of the Lord. In Acts chapter 9, verse 2, you read of those who were followers of the way. That's what we're trying to do. We are simply trying to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. So we're sanctified. We've been set apart. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew six thirty three. We are to set our affections on things above and not on things which are upon this earth, Colossians 3, verse 2. And the reason is because our citizenship is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say about the church? The Bible tells us, the Bible identifies for us that Christ is its builder. But he purchased it with his blood. But the church is the one body that we're baptized into Christ and into the church that belongs to Christ and that we are to live in conformity to his will by behaving ourselves as New Testament Christians. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, he said, But if I tarry long that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, in closing, let me just ask this question. Are you a member of the church that we read about in the Bible? Our goal is to simply present what the Bible has to say. What the Bible has to say is what we want to follow. I'm interested in believing what the Bible says and obeying what the Bible says. Because Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 7, 21. John wrote in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. Are you a member of the New Testament church that you read about in your Bible? If you're not, why not obey the gospel this very hour? The Bible says that the gospel is God's power to salvation, Romans 1.16. You can become a New Testament Christian today. You can be a part of the body of Christ. And if you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2 at verse 10. If you're here today, you're not faithful to the Lord. Maybe you've not been faithful to the church. We would be happy to pray with you and for you. We know that God will abundantly pardon, based on Hebrews 8.12, we would encourage you today, come as we stand and sing.